Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So far, the reading of God's word. We uh, are about to begin now the third of uh, six sermons uh, in a series entitled 500 Years, The Reformation and Why It's Still matters. Uh, But first, uh, uh, another brief history lesson. In the Middle Ages, the church muddled up the gospel, and they did so by adding to it. Rather than being the good news of salvation in Jesus, it became the confused and confusing news of salvation in Jesus plus Jesus plus Mary, Jesus plus the saints, Jesus plus purgatory, Jesus plus indulgences, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus the sacraments, and so on. Martin Luther confessed uh, once, he said, I, he wrote, I too believed and preached thus. St. Anne was my idol and St. Thomas my apostle. Others ran to St. James. Prayers were said to to St. Barbara and St. Christopher. But as he wrestled with his lack of assurance and as he studied his Bible, Luther came to see the utter, complete, total, absolute, and categorical sufficiency of Jesus Christ for his salvation, as did the other reformers. And thus arose this second of the five Reformation slogans, Solus Christus, by Christ alone. Which brings us to our text, uh, where, among other things, John gives us the biblical basis for saying that salvation is by Christ and him alone. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, who has loved us and has delivered us from our sin by a Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us this word and given us your Spirit that we might comprehend it, that it might come to fruition within us and draw us through Jesus to yourself. Oh Lord, give us ears to hear this morning. Lord, touch our minds, our wills, and our hearts that we might better follow Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, John clearly states here humankind's uh, fundamental problem, uh, as well as how and why the answer lies in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And he does so uh, in four key words. In this life, you and I find ourselves in all sorts of problems. We face problems beyond number. But they all stem from one fundamental problem, which is, in a word, John's first word, sin. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that sin is any one of conformity to or transgression of God's law. Later in this first letter of John, he'll say that sin is lawlessness. And if you go to a thesaurus or Google or whatever, and you look up the English word lawlessness, which is the right translation of the word, the only translation of that word in the Greek, you discover that our English word lawlessness has as some of its synonyms anarchy, disorder, chaos, unruliness, criminality, and crime. Sin is a declaration of independence from God and from His sovereign rule. It's it's a declaration of autonomy that is a rejection of His law so that we might have our own law, auto-self-nomos law, autonomy. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They declared themselves out from under God's own law, we'll make our own law. Thank you. It's rebellion, anarchy, and a number of other things that we could add. But you've already got the picture. And that's the problem with sin. The first problem with sin. The second problem is not unrelated. The second problem with sin is that it separates us from this God against whom we've rebelled. And that has consequences. Remember Isaiah's words to Israel, his rebuke to them. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, or his ear dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. 
God can save. God can hear. God knows everything. God hears everything. God is omnipotent. But our iniquity and our sin create a gulf, an unbridgeable gulf between us and him. It's a problem you and I can't fix. We need help. Hence God's words. I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So I'm sitting in the office, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, in Josh's office. And we're talking and we get around to this morning's text. And I say to him, I don't understand why John wrote what he wrote. Why did he say, if anyone sins? You and I know that we're going to sin. You and I know that there's no sinless person on this earth. We know that it's inevitable that we sin. Or is it? And Josh, in all his wisdom, said to me, well, he said, you know, I'm saying, why didn't he just write when we sin? And Josh said, because that would be, he'd be given up then. He'd be given away too much if he said when we sin. Because theoretically, we don't have to sin once we're saved. Once we're in Christ, we don't have to sin. It's not essential that we sin. It's not necessary that we sin. The fact is that we do sin. But even that marks how irrational it is because we sin when we don't have to. And John wasn't giving up. So he said, he said, if we sin rather than when we sin. But anyway... It points out the hideousness of our sin. You know, when I, when I think about my sin, when I focus on my sin, when it keeps staring in front of my face, I see the ridiculousness of it. I, I see the incongruity of it. I see the stupidity of it. I mean, I'm sinning against God and against His grace and against His goodness and against His law. And, and that sin separates me from him, and I know it. It calls into question my new creation. The Bible says in Jesus, I'm a new creature. I, I, I'm a whole new creation. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this sin and I'm looking at myself and I said, no, I'm not in the creation. I'm the same old stupid sinful jerk that I've always been. And my assurance goes down the tube and I just fall lower and lower and lower and lower. I am the hell-deserving jerk that I was 40 years ago. But 
anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. I keep coming back to those words. You've got to. If you're going to have any, any assurance at all, you've got to know that there's somebody on your side taking up your cause, representing you, because you can't do it. When we needed help, you see, when we needed help, this gulf was there too wide for us to get a bridge. God sent help. And he did so in the form of an advocate. Word number two. An advocate. He sent one who comes alongside to help. The best, I guess, way of translating that word advocate in the Greek word that under, underlies it. If you look in an English dictionary at, at advocate, it says that some, that's a person who pleads on someone else's behalf. A pleader in a court of law. A lawyer. And because we have lawyers present, I'll just skip over all the things I was going to make. It's the only time I've heard a lawyer compared to Jesus. You think about that. Uh, and I'm getting dirty looks from the back row. Uh, now, He's our lawyer. He takes our case. He pleads our case. The New International, New International Version says, translates that rather than advocate, one who speaks to the Father in our defense. He represents us. And, and God, in sending an advocate, didn't just send anybody. He didn't pick, you know, an advocate out of the yellow pages. He sent Jesus Christ. His only begotten Son who has His Father's ear. Charles Wesley, I'll quote him later again, but Wesley in that same hymn says, The Father hears Him pray, His dear anointed one. He cannot turn away the presence of His Son. The Son is the only effective advocate for two reasons. In the first place, He alone is righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous, John writes. His third word. He's the only naturally, innately, perfectly righteous person in the history of the world. And He's eternally righteous being the eternal Son of God the Father. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's God. Absolutely sinless in thought, word, deed, attitude, motive. Everything is absolutely pure. Absolutely righteous. Absolutely holy. Absolutely just. Absolutely perfect. And yet... And yet, that wasn't enough. It's not enough to be perfect from all eternity. It's not enough to be seated in glory with the Father and with the Spirit. In absolute holiness, absolute righteousness. It's not enough. 
to the advocate for God's people. To qualify him to be our advocate, the Father sent him into this world, into this created order, into this fallen place to be tested and tried and found true in the wilderness and throughout his entire life on this earth. He is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, wrote the author of Hebrews. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in, to help in time of need. It wasn't enough that he was eternally perfect. He had to be perfect in this world, in a human body, bearing human flesh, being tempted at every point that we humans are tempted. And he could not fail. He could not fail and still be our advocate. And because he alone is righteous, he alone could make satisfaction for our sins. Because he had none, he could deal with yours and mine. He is, John says, the propitiation, word number four, for our sins. Propitiation. Five syllables. I don't usually, I don't know that many five-syllable words to begin with. Let's define it. It essentially means to turn away or to quell the anger of a superior, a superior being. And you and I can't do that. Think back to the Old Testament sacrifices. How are we going to take, you know, how are we going to turn away the anger, satisfy the anger of God at our sins. You go back to the Old Testament sacrifices. The animals used there had to be perfect. They had to be spotless. They had to be unblemished. That's exactly what we're not. We're rebellious anarchists who've risen up against God and His laws. We've declared ourselves autonomy, autonomous. And God's angry. That's what his wrath is all about. That's what he's angry at. And you and I can't fix it. I mean, what can we offer him now? Animal sacrifices, even back then, weren't the long-term answer. You know, they had to, kept having to be repeated every morning, every week, every, every year. The same things over and over and over and over again. So the father had the answer. He sent his son to be tempted and tested so that he could remain righteous and offer the only sacrifice that would satisfy the wrath of God the Father as well as his justice. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, again the writer of Hebrews, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. John says, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. 
And I guess we need to deal with that, don't we? We, we need to say, what in the world is he talking about there? Jesus didn't die to save the entire world. The entire world is not saved and is not going to be saved. Spirit of the Reformation Study Bible, in their note on, on that phrase, said this does not suggest that the death of Jesus atones for every person's sins. Rather, it teaches that he is the only atoning sacrifice for sin in the whole world. All who seek forgiveness and cleansing must approach God through Jesus. So another reformer, John Calvin, wrote, We must come to the sacrifice by which God has been appeased. For anyone unconvinced that God is appeased by that one atonement in which Christ endured his wrath will never cease to tremble. There is no assurance outside of Jesus and his sacrifice alone. Calvin goes on, in short, we must seek peace for ourselves solely in the anguish of Christ our Redeemer. So we join the reformers, we who are resting in Jesus Christ, in the rallying cry of the gospel, Solas Christos, Christ alone. We come to God through him, our righteous advocate who can make the only acceptable sacrifice for you and for me to take away, to deal forever with our sin. He is the one who can make the only acceptable plea. His own obedience, his own suffering, his own death in our place on the cross at Calvary. I said I was going to quote Charles Wesley again. Here it is. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood was shed for all our race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive, oh forgive, they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. Yeah, I talk about when I've face my sin when it just is there in front of me and I can't avoid it and I've got to deal with it and I look at myself and I see what I am and who I am in myself and somehow or other I leave Jesus out of that equation and it just beats me down beats me down and then at some point finally the Spirit works into my head 
those words, five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. And this might sound horribly un-Calvinistic, unreformed, but I see my Redeemer standing before the Father. And I see his hands, and I see his feet, and I see his side. And I pray to the Father, Oh, Father, see his hands, see his feet, see his side. He pleads for me. And I have nothing, nothing on this earth that I can hold up to you. Only Jesus. Only Jesus bears the wounds. Only Jesus can plead for me. And somewhere in that exchange, I can say with Wesley, to God, I'm reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Abba, Father, Abba, cry. Here's your ground for your assurance. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours alone, but the whole world. Amen? Let's pray.